commencing or recommencing our Bible study. Okay, so anyone remember where we were studying from? It was Wars and Rumours of Wars. Who knows the book and chapter? Matthew 24, yes, Andy. All right, Matthew 24, let's turn there. Matthew 24, starting at verse 1. We managed to get to verse 6 a few weeks ago when we did part 1 of Wars and Rumours of Wars. So we're going to get to verse 7. But you probably know I love a good recap. So uh, we're going to do a bit bit of a recap before we get to verse 7. So, Matthew 24, verse 1. Now this is in Holy Week, which is quite handy, isn't it? Because we're just about to enter Holy Week. So maybe the Holy Spirit led us to this very chapter on this very day, perhaps. But this is during Holy Week. I don't know which day. You could probably work it out. But it's round about Tuesday or Wednesday, I'm thinking. Um, After Jesus come in triumphant but lowly on a donkey and uh, this is during the week so Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings wow what amazing stones let's see the size of those stones Jesus do you see all these things he asked truly I tell you not one stone here will be left on another every one will be thrown down And sure enough, true to what Jesus said, every one of those impressive temple stones was turned over and and kicked over, destroyed by the Romans in AD 70. 40 years, roughly 40 years after Jesus said it would, it happened. And one solid and steadfast thing we talked about last time was that we can always rely on what God says will happen. It might happen 40 seconds later, 40 years later. 4,000 years later, but whatever God says will happen, it will happen. Yeah, okay. Verse 3, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, isn't it amazing that he's sitting on the Mount of Olives, but in a few days' time he's going to be kneeling, isn't he? In that very same spot in the garden there on the Mount of Olives, he's going to be kneeling with that famous pleading prayer. Father, please take this cup from me, but not my will but yours be done. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? Meaning the destruction of the temple he just described. And what will be the sign of your coming uh, and the end of the age? Now last time we looked at the fact that from their knowledge of the Old Testament scriptures and from what Jesus has said about him going and coming back, they knew the Messiah was going to have a second coming. And they're saying, what's the sign of this second coming, your second coming in the end of the age, Jesus? And for, sorry, and from prophecy, what we looked at last time was that when the Messiah comes again, he's going to be performing a different role from what he did when he came the first time. Remember we looked at Isaiah 53, the suffering servant. He took up our infirmities, carried our sicknesses. By his stripes we were healed. God laid on him the sin of us all. And then when he comes back, we looked at Revelation and we see this picture of a conquering king and judge, don't we? Same Jesus, two very different roles. And the beautiful thing about this age that we live in now, that the disciples said, when is this age going to come to an end? The beautiful thing about this current age 
is that we live in the time of Jesus, the suffering servant, gave up his life on the cross to pay the price for our sins. And that amazing offer of salvation is basically lifted up for the whole world to see and to receive. We're in that age. There's many ugly things about this age, as we'll talk about, but the beauty of this age is that we're living under the age of the offer of salvation through Jesus. Okay. And we ended up by looking at 2 Peter. I'll just read some verses for you. You don't have to turn there. You keep in Matthew. But we ended up by reading this. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised? Well, it's been two years since he mentioned it. He's not coming. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, meaning his promise to come again, to return, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And we looked, like, we looked at what perishing meant and what repentance meant last time. Verse 4 in Matthew 24. Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumours of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Now even though wars are very alarming... We talked last time about Jesus calling Christians to have an eternal mindset. According to Jesus in Matthew 10, we should not fear those who can kill our body. But rather we should fear the one, meaning God, who decides what happens to our souls after that. That's not to say that Jesus isn't concerned about someone's here and now, their current present circumstances. His words and his deeds left us in no doubt that he has boundless compassion for people's current physical and emotional well-being. We see that, don't we? You experience it. We see it in the New Testament, the Gospels. Jesus' willingness and compassion to bless people and to solve and to heal people's current physical and emotional suffering in those circumstances. But... Because of his eternal mindset, Jesus is much more concerned about each person's eternal security. An eternal God who is spirit creates eternal beings who are spirits too, who live in a body. If your existence is to be compared to a book, when your body, which the Bible says is your temporary earth tent, or earth suit, when your body gives up, gives way, or is killed suddenly, that is just the beginning of the first chapter, the end of the first chapter in your life. The, the rest is yet to come. So from a human perspective, we tend to view this life as an opportunity to seize it, to achieve things, to get the most out of it, to enjoy it. You know, life is an opportunity to do these things, to experience, to achieve. But from God's perspective, there is only one reason we exist. And that is 
that we choose to join to him. That's the main reason you exist on this earth, is to choose to be joined to him. The Bible refers this as being in Christ or with Christ. To choose to be joined to God in this life is to be joined to him through death into eternity, to die in Christ, as it were. But to spend this life not choosing to be joined to God, when you pass from this life, your choice of not being joined to God is cemented into eternity. You end up in eternity, not joined to God. Jesus called that dying in your sin. So yes, life is an opportunity to make the most of it, to experience, enjoy, love and be loved, achieve all sorts, go forth and multiply as well. That is all part of living. But they're not the reason you exist. You exist to choose to enter into a relationship with Christ, the one who created you. That's why you exist. You can enjoy the other things as well and achieve, but that's the main reason you exist, is to choose to be united with the one who created you, to be in Christ. And that's why the Apostle Paul wrote, everything else I consider worthless compared with the infinite value of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. And it was Paul who also wrote, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Yeah. Stephen. To live is Christ and to die, strangely, is gain. Isn't that amazing? To have that mindset. To live is Christ, to die is even better. Wars are horrific. What we're hearing and seeing right now, not just in Ukraine and Russia, but elsewhere as well, the wars that are going on, they're horrific. But in God's eyes, what is most horrific is dying without knowing Jesus as Lord. Yeah. Did you want another one, Steve? You give me an amen there. <laughs> okay. All right. So, verse 6. You will hear of wars and rumours of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And what we see happening right now is Russia rising against Ukraine, don't we? Well, actually, it's not the whole of Russia, is it? It's, it's a tiny part of Russia. Putin and his generals and his army rising against, but kingdom is rising against kingdom. Nation is rising against kingdom. Nation. And it's interesting to note that as Jesus is saying this to his disciples, saying there's going to be wars and rumours of wars... Actually, those very disciples were experiencing right now what the Ukraine is experiencing from Russia. Because actually, they're living in a land where the Romans had come in and taken over. Okay, So they were no stranger to this, and they were no stranger to what the Ukrainian people are experiencing right now. The kingdom of Rome had come in and asserted their rule of Israel and many other nations as well at that time. So the disciples were living not under Putin, but they were living under 
Tiberius Caesar Augustus at that point. And the Romans were gruesome to whoever stood in their way. They didn't have tanks or machine guns, but they pretty much did the same thing as what some of the Roman soldiers are doing to the Ukrainians right now. So verse 7, Nation will rise against nation, Jesus said, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. Now, before Jesus has said this, the Old Testament was no stranger of wars, famines, and earthquakes. They weren't anything particularly new. So why is Jesus bothering to tell them? If they're part of life anyway, why is Jesus saying, oh, by the way, you're going to hear of wars and rumours of wars, even though you're in one right now, and you're going to hear of famines and earthquakes in various places. Well, why is Jesus telling them? I think in part, we can hear Jesus informing his disciples that until he comes back, life will continue to be fraught with danger. The world is not going to get any better, guys. Even though Jesus is about to do the most transformational thing in the entire history of the world by dying on the cross and paying the ransom of the sin for everyone, past, present and future. The current age, as they knew it and as we know it, is not going to get any better, he's telling them. Even though I'm the Messiah and I've come and you're hoping I'll do this and you're hoping I'll do that, actually, these wars are going to carry on. These famines are going to continue too. And these earthquakes, the world is still going to be groaning. Okay? His death can massively transform you. But it won't transform the world and how it behaves. Sorry to say. Your home may be transformed. Communities may be transformed in a way when they yield to the Lordship of Jesus as a whole. But actually... The world and its ways are not going to get any better, guys. As far as the sacrifice for sin is concerned, Jesus' last words on the cross confirm what happened. He said, It is finished. Chanyu, you ready? Yes, Jesus said it is finished. He died. For the debt of sin, it's paid, it is finished, it is done with sin. I've paid the penalty for everyone's sin, it's done. However, even though he paid the price for our sin of everyone, the world is still going to suffer the effects of sin. He hasn't cleared that up. Until he comes back and makes everything new. Aren't you glad he's coming back? We sang that in our first song, didn't we? He's coming back. He is going to make everything new. But in the meantime, guys, things are going to stay the same. The world is going to be the same. Until Jesus' second coming, life on earth, as beautiful as it sometimes is, will continue to be fraught with danger. The world still groans and the devil still roams. Is that right? I love the way John Newton puts his own experience in his famous hymn. What's the hymn called? Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace. That was, I heard, I heard uh, Derek there. Are you ready? Okay. All right. Yeah. What did, what did John Newton say about dangers, toils, and snares? He said, 
Through many dangers, toils and snares, I have already come. Tis grace has brought me safe this far, and grace will lead me home. So in part, I think Jesus is saying, just because the Messiah is here now, don't expect the world as we know it to change the way it acts. That won't happen until I come again. Praise God, he's coming again. However, I also think when Jesus talks about wars, famines and earthquakes, we might be able to hear Jesus' encouragement to his disciples too. So there's a little bit of warning going on. Guys, the world's not going to change until I come back. You're still going to struggle and be in danger. However, I think he's also, going to, he's also putting encouragement into our hearts as well. Why is that? Well, ordinarily, when the world hears about wars, famines and earthquakes, we think of them with dread, don't we? And that's right, because of the catastrophic suffering they cause. But even in the midst of war, famine and earthquake, a child of God should be expecting God to be doing two things. Working in all things for the good of those who love him. That's what it says in Romans 8, isn't it? God is working in all things for the good of those who love him. So one, there's going to be wars, famines and earthquakes, but what can we expect God to be doing in the midst? Good. God is going to be working good in everything. Okay? And the second thing we are, as Christians, expecting from God is he's looking for people to do good with and through. So God is working good, but he's also looking for people to work with him to do good in the midst of wars, famines and earthquakes and all the other things that were going on. So even in the face of wars, famine and earthquake, we should be expectantly thinking, one, what is God up to? For good. And two, what is he saying to me? What has God up to in Ukraine? And what is he saying to me about it, about my circumstances, whatever it is? Okay? Kingdom will continue to rise against kingdom, and that won't change until Jesus returns. But as Christians, we also need to remember, too, that we belong to a kingdom with a capital K. Yeah? We see kingdom rising against kingdom, but also we belong to a kingdom, a kingdom that Jesus said is not of this world. And it's a kingdom that you can't point to on the map because Jesus said the kingdom is within you. So even in the midst of kingdom rising against kingdom, Jesus' kingdom can be pouring out through his kingdom citizens. One example of this is what we've seen of the Church of Jesus in Ukraine and in Poland and the surrounding areas. How God's kingdom, even though the kingdom of or the nation of uh, Russia is rising against Ukraine and they're fighting backwards and forwards, what we're seeing is the kingdom of God being poured out through his church, aren't we, in acts of, well, the church have been perhaps the pivotal group of people supplying the needs of those in need. And actually, I saw in one report that the Red Cross actually turned to the church to help that to help gain the church's help to coordinate the relief. 
So the church were the first to react in many ways. And the other organisations then turned to the church saying, well, you're already doing it. Can you kind of coordinate with us and we can work through you? And So that's one thing that we've seen as this kingdom is rising against kingdom. We've seen the kingdom of God rising above that in a sense. But I'm guessing that as well as providing practical aid, the church in Eastern Europe right now are still praying for the sick as well, as well as feeding them physically. I'm guessing the church in Ukraine and the, and the Ukrainian Christians that have been spreading out throughout Europe right now are actually still praying for the sick. They're still sharing the good news of Jesus. They're still expecting God to do miraculous things as well through them because that's the kingdom of God, isn't it? The kingdom of God is miraculous, it's supernatural, it's invisible, but it's powerful. And so should we. War or no war, earthquake or no earthquake, famine or no famine, we are called to fight the good fight of faith every day. Overcoming the kingdom of darkness with the kingdom of God who lives within us. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And Martin, last week, in his teaching, he reminded us to keep fighting, to keep praying, to keep going for it, to keep pushing against fear like, like Michelle uh, shared this morning, to keep stepping forward in faith that you're part of Jesus' family. You're part of God's kingdom and that he is, he, greater is he in you than he that is in the world. So expect God to be doing good in the midst of awful circumstances, but also expect God to be speaking to you and leading you amidst these awful circumstances as well for his good. Okay. Just before he went to heaven, one of the most encouraging things Jesus said to his disciples was this. In Matthew 28, 20, he said, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We're in this current age, and Jesus promises to be with you always until he returns. So until the end of the age, when Jesus returns, Jesus is surely with each of us by his spirit. And even in times of war, famine, an earthquake, which can be dreadful, a believer should expect it also to be Godful. Even though we look at the war right now, it's dreadful. As a Christian, you can expect it also to be Godful, to be full of what God is doing. If you're born again, you know, and for any many for a number of years, you'll know that your worst times have also been the most godful times. Can you testify to that? That even in your worst times, they've been some of your most godful times as well. What is God up to? And what is he saying to me? Even amidst wars, rumours of wars, earthquakes and famines. So when I hear Jesus warning about wars and famines and earthquakes, my immediate reaction is, oh no, I don't like the sound of that. Particularly if it comes to me. You know, it's bad enough when you see it going on just across the channel. But when it comes to me, I don't like the sound of that at all. But when I also take notice of scriptures in the Old Testament and New Testament, I also end up thinking, I wonder 
what God is going to do and will do in the midst of what's going on. Do you know what happened after the destruction of the temple that Jesus prophesied to his disciples and it happened 40 years later? Do you know what happened to the Jewish people? Dispersed. Yeah, do you know what they call it? Have you had one yet, Nick? No. (laughs) They called it the great, is it diaspora or just diaspora? Diaspora. Okay, so not only did the Romans destroy the temple that Jesus prophesied they would, but what happened was um, that the, um, the Jewish people in Israel, they rebelled. They'd had enough, basically, of Roman occupation, and they rebelled. Unfortunately, the Romans were bigger and stronger, and they destroyed most of the city of Jerusalem, crushed the temple like Jesus said they would, and that led to a mass spreading out of, of the Jewish people all over the place, into Europe and places like that which was awful. However, along came the Second World War, which is probably one of the worst and bloodiest wars in the history of the world. Jesus said, you know, there'd be wars, there'd be rumours of wars. Kingdom will rise against kingdom, nation will rise against nation. However, something came out of that war. Turn to Isaiah 66. The piece of land that would called Israel, that the nation of Israel occupied for all those years, because of this sending out now, this persecution, the Romans destroyed it, the Jewish people flee to all over the world. And then 2000, well, nearly 2,000 years later, after that demolish, um, demolishing of the, the temple and the spreading out, In 1948, just after World War II, when the mass holocaust of six million Jews carried out by Hitler and the Nazis, because of that, the United Nations agreed, just after the war ended, that the Jewish homeland should no longer be counted as Palestine, but given back to the Jewish people and recognised as Israel once more. So if we read in Isaiah 66, verse 8, Holy Spirit through Isaiah prophesied this. Who has ever heard of such things? Who has ever seen things like this? Can a country be born in a day? Or a nation be brought forth in a moment? Yet no sooner is Zion in labour than she gives birth to her children. So here's a prophecy hundreds of years before. God's saying this is going to happen. And then out of the atrocity of World War II comes this amazing fulfilment, ordinarily impossible, a nation be born in a day, and yet here it was, suddenly, all those years later. Even in the fall of the most world's horrific wars, God always has the final say. What is God doing? And what is God saying to me? He has the last word. And if he said it, it's going to happen, just as he said it will. Okay, back to, um, back to your Matthew 24, verse 7. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. So, out of interest, after Jesus warned his disciples that there would be earthquakes in various places, 
Do you know how long it was before they experienced the next earthquake? Yeah, turn to Matthew 27. About two or three days later, after Jesus warned them that they're going to experience earthquakes in various places. Now, when we think of earthquake, we think of something horrible, don't we? Houses collapsing, people being crushed, water mains bursting, electricity pile lines coming down. And yet, hear encouragement when Jesus warns about there'll be earthquakes. Matthew 27. Verse, we'll read from verse 38. Two rebels were crucified with Jesus, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. Now, when Jesus mentioned the temple, he, spoke, he was speaking about his body. Destroy this temple, he said. And it'll be raised in three days. Now they thought they may, he meant the, the big brick temple. Okay. Verse 41. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. <laughs> Let him come down now from the cross and we'll believe in him. He trusts in God. Let him rescue him now if he wants him. For he who said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were with, crucified with him also heaped insults on him. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came all over the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, I, I say Lama Sabachthani. Is that correct? No? Oh, who knows? Which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook. The rocks split and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs just after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. Now, in my opinion, these dead people coming up from the dead and walking around is either the first evidence of Jesus leading a prison break from Hades. Now, I've, I've Try to explain about Hades before. It's the underworld where all the dead went before Jesus died. And there was two parts to Hades, hell and paradise. Okay? The righteous went to paradise, the unrighteous went to hell. Uh, and Jesus went to Hades and led a prison break. It said he led captivity captive. He went down to preach to the spirits in prison, the gospel. Those who followed him would have then been released and I, I'm guessing gone, gone to heaven. So either we're seeing the first fruit of this sudden prison break as Jesus dies and people being set free from Hades and some of them, the holy people, being resurrected. Or 
This is an amazing side effect of the presence of God rushing out from the temple because the the curtain that separated the Holy of Holies, where the presence of God was, to the rest of the temple, that no one could go behind unless once a year it was only by the high priest. So the curtain, curtain was torn in two from top to bottom, meaning God did it from the top to the bottom. And we see the rushing of the Holy Spirit out. And as he rushes past... He can't help but raise a few people, a few holy people from among the graves. I don't know, but it happened. It happened. Verse 54. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the Son of God. Now, Mike began this morning with the story or the retelling of the uh, entry into Jerusalem with Jesus. And it ended with them asking, who is this man? And now a Roman soldier, an unbeliever before this, feels the earthquake, sees the darkness for three hours, sees how Jesus died and probably heard what he said. And he declares, surely, he was the Son of God. Okay, where's, where's the microphone? <laughs> <laughs> I'll teach you. Apparently, this is John Wayne. Surely, this man was the Son of God. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. You will hear of wars and rumours of wars, earthquakes and famines, which are dreadful in themselves. But as believers, Jesus is telling you, these will also be Godful. What is God up to in your most dreadful times, in the world's most difficult, darkest things? And what is he saying to you? as his son and daughter? What is Jesus, who is in you, leading you and guiding you to do, saying, do not be alarmed. These things must happen. And a little bit further down, I don't know which verse it is, Jesus talks about holding on. Those who hold on to me to the end will be saved. And I won't come back until this gospel of the kingdom is preached to all the nations.